0: Father, I, it's just so good to be serving your people again. And Father, I actually love being here surrounded by your word. And God, I pray that you do this great work in us. Father, you have said that your word is like a, a bomb that heals. Father, your word is also like a hammer that breaks hard stones. Father, your word is like a rain that comes down and causes the vegetation to come back up. It doesn't return to you void. Father, your word is dependable and true. It's like silver refined seven times. And So, Father, I'm grateful for your word. I'm thankful for your word. And I desire more and more to be influenced, controlled, um, uh, filled with passion, and experience the revelation of God through your word. Father, I pray that you would do a holy and eternal thing in our hearts today, Lord. Father, that as we gather together in faith, looking to Christ, your word would change us and move us forward, and empower us for the work you've called us to do. Father, I pray that this message today would serve missions, God, as we uh, know that we are here on this planet, not just to have as much comfort as we can until we die, but to actually bless the people around us, to bless Steinbeck, to bring people to you, to see you work in people's lives, and to multiply disciples and multiply churches. Um, And you've got this call in our lives to do this, and I pray that by your grace this message would serve that purpose. And I pray that we would get free. And Father, that you would be glorified, that we would the fruit of this would be just enjoying you, loving you, serving you, seeing you, being filled with your spirit, and walking more closely with Jesus in his life. Father, these are my desires, and I give them to you for you to do your best work in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. <clears throat> So I had this really interesting experience on Friday night. I was just enjoying the day because I actually went somewhere and I didn't have to warm up my car beforehand. And I also wasn't wearing a sweater. It was so good. And so we had this little games night that we do um, one Friday a month at the church house next door, just a way for me to meet people and connect with people and to meet your friends If that's something you want to do, you know, if you have friends you don't like hanging around too much, you can introduce them to me, and then that might solve that problem for you. Kidding. But it was super warm at our games night, but for one reason or another, some people wanted to uh, see this thing on the internet, and we had this really interesting experience because it was really warm outside, and then there was also this complete whiteout going on. Five-nothing, oh my goodness. Any Jets fans? Yes, no, maybe so. I'm not a hockey guy, so if, if you're a hockey person out there and you're like, you're faking it, Rob, absolutely, 100%. But if I tell you I'm faking it, then it's not really a lie. That's not true. I totally get... We used to call it NBC BC Canuck fever. It's when the Canucks made the playoffs and everyone was a Like it's Everyone's like, oh, of course I watched all the preseason games and all the season games. Of course I did. No, you didn't. Yeah, that's true. Isn't Trevor Linden still on the team? No. Anyhow, I, I don't mind watching some playoff games and so... Um, that the Jets made the second round of the playoffs. This was great. And I'm, I'm actually really excited for it. There's a part of me that's like, God, you know how bad our winters are. We could really use a pick-me-up. Do you know what I mean? Like, we could really, just as a people in a province, use something to be kind of a little happy about because... Um, it looks like a desert wasteland outside of my house. It's like just dead grass as far as the eye can see. And uh, if you walk on that grass, it, you look like pig pen. You know, remember pig pen from Charlie Brown where just clouds of dust just falling around. You just step on anything that should be alive and green and it's just this cloud of death just comes up off the ground. It's like we could use a pick-me-up. So I'm okay with the jets doing great and Lord bless them. And it feels like such a great accomplishment, does it not? I want to read to you Proverbs 16, verse 32, which is on your bulletins, where Solomon, um, writing by the Holy Spirit, says this, Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and whoever rules his spirit than he who takes a city. Taking a city in Solomon's day was the most difficult thing you could try to do. It's a picture of war. Okay, and back then, in our cities, our city limits are kind of just like a sign, right? Just like, welcome to Steinbach, And they put this sign there, and that's the border of the city. But in the ancient Near Eastern times, uh, an important city would have a gigantic stone wall around it that in times of war, when a city is being assaulted, would have many people on those walls with bows and arrows or slings or javelins to throw at you. And so if you were a general or a soldier and you wanted to take a city, it was literally the most difficult physical thing you could do the greatest athletic accomplishment would be to with your team storm a city and conquer it so much so that for the romans the greatest um, award they could give one of their soldiers was first over the wall that was what they did. When any time they sacked a the city, they would say, okay, who is the first one over the wall? And that person would get this medal and like a parade and a celebration, first one over the wall. Unfortunately, first one over the wall was usually the first one killed because there were all those people there with the javelins and the swords and the slings and stuff like that. But that was the accomplishment for their armies, which were the sports teams of their days, essentially. The greatest accomplishment wasn't getting the Stanley Cup. It was first one over the wall, and especially during a victory. Solomon looks at human beings and the kind of physical athletic accomplishments that they celebrate. And he says, you know who's greater than the mighty? And you know what's greater than sacking a city? And you know what takes more human accomplishment than winning the Stanley Cup? Being slow to anger and ruling your own spirit. Hmm. You want to be great? You want to be greater than a Stanley Cup champion? With God's help, learn how to be slow to anger. Learn how to rule your spirit. In other words, be full of the Holy Spirit fruit of self control. That's an interesting thought. You want to be greater than the Stanley Cup champions grow in the fruit of self-control. Now, I made a mistake last week, and I'm going to correct myself, and so I hope you enjoy it. I allow myself one mistake a year, and that was it, last Sunday, during my second message. And so, uh, there you go. I think it was only during the second message I had said that self-control in the Greek was a word called nasis or symphronismos, depending. And... Um, I was wrong. That that is not the fruit of the spirit. Self control. That's from Second Timothy, where Paul says the fruit of the spirit is um, power, love, and a sound mind, or self control. Sometimes it's translated, but the actual one from Galatians is a different word called uh, enkrateia. Everybody say enkrateia, which is roughly translated into English in strength. Uh, Kratos means strength or strong one. Kratia is a bit of a way of just riffing on that. And the word n means in. So in strength. En kratia means in strength. And it really means self-control. It means having the inner strength to, able, to be able to rule yourself. Having the inner strength to be able to say about your thoughts, feelings, behaviors, and actions, I do want to do that, and I don't want to do that. It's inner strength strength that's a fruit of the spirit to provide for us the strength we need in order to control ourselves anybody bored yet if we were talking about joy i know you'd be you'd be like yeah give me some joy and i'm just like now and i'm going to pray that god gives you inner strength to say no to your desires hey, I, I, are you sure you want to do that <laughs> yeah we're going to do that this is a great goal which is better than any hockey player or football player if they don 't have inner strength now this is one of the things as I think about it most professional athletes do actually have a ton of self control that 's how they get there it 's because they, they wake up early or they stay up late or they do their practices and they don 't freak out in front of the cameras and get themselves ejected from the team and all that stuff. You actually do have to take have a lot of self control to take a cross check to the neck and then Get back on the ice a few minutes later. There is some self-control in there. so it's not necessarily or one or the other, but um, if you don't have one, then the other one's really not worth too much. The fruit of the spirit is self-control. One of the, the things you know about life is that you have all kinds of desires and can feel all kinds of pressures. Isn't that true? You can want to do all kinds of things, either because you think it'll be exciting or because you think it will get you out of a jam. We have desires. And when these desires aren't good for us or aren't in God's will, we call them temptations, right? And temptations can be big business. Just ask stores that manage to stay alive selling chocolate cake. Like, temptations can be big business. And so I notice when I'm reading Galatians chapter 5 that when Paul finishes the fruit of the Spirit and says there's no such thing, there's no law against such things. He says, and those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And so he's picturing Christians as people with this flesh that is running around in them that has its own passions and has its own desires, it has its own will for our life. They're usually selfish wills, they're usually um, pride wills, they're usually kill all my enemies' wills, they're usually like personal positions of power desiring wills, they're usually envious jealousy wills, they're kinds of things like that. And Paul says that in Christ, that, that um, fleshly power has been crucified so that it's no longer the boss of our lives. And instead, the Holy Spirit is called to be the boss of our lives, and he doesn't want to just teach us how to indulge every desire or give in to every temptation. Instead, he wants to produce in us love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. One of the things I said once last week in one of the messages, and I'll say it again because it's worthwhile, self-control or inner strength in order to do what's pleasing to God is the fruit that protects every other fruit of the Holy Spirit. We can be full of love, but if we don't have self-control, we're going to ruin it. We can have joy, but if we don't have self-control, we're going to sabotage it. We can be gentle, but if we don't have self-control, sometimes we're going to choose to be gentle when we actually need to be a bit more forceful. And I can go on and on and on from there. Self-control, that inner strength that kind of talks to yourself and says... I need to do this or I need to stop doing this and has the ability to say yes to ourselves when we need to say yes or no to ourselves when we need to say no is what protects and guards what God does in a church or in our lives. And so I want to talk about self-control from three angles. And I want to use mountain biking as a bit of a way of... Getting at this, okay? So, mountain biking and self control. Um, I had the privilege for the last two years, not this year, because I think I'm going to be busy chasing around a toddler, um, Lord willing, and yes and amen, and hallelujah, and may it happen. Um, but for the last two years, I've had the blessing of being a mountain bike coach for little kids. And it's really funny. Like, I got into this, somebody invited me into this, and I wanted to do something with Josh as well as have some coaching experience in town. And uh, I realized pretty quickly that that most of the kids who come to this mountain biking club know way more about mountain biking than I do. So I'm just like, I'm happy to take the youngest kids, yet the ones that can hardly even just sit on a bike, just stick them with me because I'll still appear to know more than they do. (laughs) And I don't mind little kids so much. So I was a good fit there. But I did learn a little bit while I was there, being a kid's mountain bike coach, and I learned, number one, the importance of having a coach when you're learning something. And I learned, number two, that the most important part of a mountain bike is the brakes. And I learned, number three, that you gotta teach people to keep their knees bent when they're going down, downhill. And I'll explain all of that in time. The importance of having a coach. When it comes to growing in the spiritual fruit of self-control, the, one of the main reasons we need to do this is because our Father and our Savior Jesus and the Holy Spirit are the God of self-control. God is always completely in holy control of himself. He never does anything that isn't wise, pure, holy, and good perfectly timed, and perfectly proportioned. He is a God of self-control. And walking with him, he wants to coach us in it. Okay, Like those little kids that coach classes, we have a life coach. His name is the Lord. And he wants to make us just like him. And Jesus was totally in control of himself every moment of his life, And the Father is totally in control of himself. And they're not just in control of themselves, but God is actually in control of everything. But it starts with him being in control of himself. So, one place out of all the places in Scripture I could take us to is the book of Exodus, which is a story right after God's given the Ten Commandments. Anybody heard some messages on the Ten Commandments recently? Okay, so one of the Ten Commandments, two of them, God says, don't have any other gods besides me, and says to them, don't make any idols of anything under the earth. Those are the first two Ten Commandments. And within a month or so, um, Israel had made an idol. The golden calf and through this big party and people were getting hosed and celebrating around this thing and they're saying this golden calf is the God that brought you out of Israel which everybody knew was a total lie because that calf was just made and they were already out of Egypt sorry not out of Israel out of Egypt and everybody knew that they had been following this pillar of cloud for a while it was just a total lie and um, God was really mad and God says to Moses okay um, you stand here I'm gonna t- I'm gonna wipe out all these people Because if they can do this while you're still talking to me on Mount Sinai, while they can still see you talking to me in the cloud of fire on the top of Mount Sinai, if they can make idols for themselves while I'm right here, we're done. I'm going to take you, I'm going to make you into a nation, and I'm going to fulfill all my promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob through you. And that's how it's going to be. And Moses pleads and prays and says, please don't do that, consider your namesake. Everyone's going to think you just took Israel out here to wipe them out because you didn't like them and you don't keep your promises for the sake of your fame and your name. Have mercy. And God says, okay, I will. Notice him hearing prayer immediately. And as they're trying to figure out what to do next, God and Moses are talking and Moses says to God, Show me your glory. This is the end of chapter 33. He says, God, show me your glory. I want to see your glory. Moses is at a low point in his leadership, in his life, and he just says, I need to see my God. And God says, okay. And so in chapter 34, God hides Moses in the cleft of a rock, and he makes his presence pass by him, and he declares his glory. And this is what scripture says. It says, the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. Now this is an amazing scene in all of scripture. When God is invited to demonstrate who he is in a way to provoke worship to one of his most treasured people, what does he do? He shows up and does he, I don't know, lift big rocks? Does he make the angels dance in front of him? What does he do? When Moses says, Show me your glory, show me the best of the best of the best of who you are, God. He doesn't do some kind of crazy feat of strength. He proclaims who he is, and he proclaims his mercy and graciousness in the face of major sin. He dis- displays that he is slow to anger when he has every right to not be slow to anger. He displays that he is abounding in steadfast love. That's a key word in the Old Testament, chesed, which means covenant faithfulness. I made a promise and I will keep it and I will control myself to keep my promises so that I am faithful to my promises. Keeping steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping this steadfast love for thousands and when it's time to judge, when it's time to have wrath, I, he is in total control he does it to the third or fourth generation. It's not out of control. It's not like a, a tidal wave where nobody can stop it. God can stop it. He, he, he says when, it, when it's time to judge, it's it's to the third or fourth generation of those who hate me. But when they stop hating me, then the judgment ends too. And so God comes to display his glory of mercy and holiness And the whole thing is covered over by the fact that God is completely in control of himself when he's doing this. You sin against me, I could punish you or I could not. It's my choice, 100%, and I'm going to choose to have mercy. This is God's character. And this is part of why the gospel is so awesome. Because our completely in control of himself God can send his son And say, this sacrifice on the cross for your sin completely restores our relationship as you believe in him. And God will hold himself to his promise for all time because he's completely in control. And if you have walked with God for any amount of time, you have experiences where you think, that's it, I've done it, I've sinned too bad, I've fallen too short, I haven't tried hard enough, and I I am assuming, God, that now that I have betrayed you enough, now you're going to look at me, you're going to say, it's over, it's done, and forget this, and I'm out of here. No. God is completely in control of how he stays faithful to his promises faithful to his children and faithful to the cross, and if he wants to spend the rest of your life forgiving you, he can do that because he doesn't lose control of himself even when we're sinning. Amen? Now, this doesn't sound exciting, but this is amazing because it doesn't really matter if God says, I'll forgive you through Jesus, if he also flies off the handle every time we sin. It doesn't matter what he promises if he doesn't keep his promises because he has complete encroteia, complete inner strength, to do as he pleases with himself and in the world. But he is totally in control. And when he makes a promise, he keeps it. This is the glory of God. He made us a promise in the gospel. If you turn to Jesus, I will forgive you completely, take you to be my treasure, walk with you through your entire life, and bring you into glory. And I will stay faithful to this promise. God has the strength to stay in control of himself, which means that we will not be consumed. And now he calls us to be like him. To gain inner strength from our Heavenly Father so that we can be faithful and we can not blow up and not blow out and not betray. Well, how does that work? So first of all, I'm saying when we need to grow in self-control, let's look to our God who is the God who is in control control of the world, in control of himself, and say, God, you're the standard. You're the standard of self-control here, and you want me to be like you. The next thing I want to talk about is our inner person, okay? Because self-control and growing in self-control does have a lot to do with figuring out what's going on inside of us, behind our eyes and under our sternum, amen? Like What's going on in our hearts, what's going on in our heads, learning how to talk to ourselves, talk ourselves off the cliff. And this is what I mean by covering your brakes, okay? So when when we would start off with our, our bike practice, we would usually meet at Abe's Hill the first couple of times, which is one of the only hills in Steinbeck, It used to be a garbage dump or something like that that they covered over with dirt. I don't know, I heard that somewhere, but maybe it's an urban legend. But as I understand, it's a man-made hill. And we would just bike around there, do some practices. But of course, where do all the kids want to go? They want to go to the top of the hill. And then what do they all want to do? They want to go down the the hill. And so as the one in charge of the youngest kids, more than once, I had one of my kids realizing halfway down the hill that they didn't know how to stop. I had told them, okay? I had told them. I was a good coach. We practiced this. But realizing that they weren't, you know, kids are not always the cords and the the ears to the brain and the fingers. That connection isn't always super strong. And adults too sometimes. So they're at the top of the hill and they're coming down and they realize, I don't actually know how to stop this thing. And those are the adrenaline moments of coaching kids i assure you and usually what happened would be that they'd like start dragging their toes along the ground anybody ever see kids do that and if you're the you're the mom or the dad you're like it looks like we're going shoe shopping because those shoes do not last long while they're grinding down the... anyhow it would have been so much easier for them and that you they could have avoided that sensation of i'm being out of control i'm about to die if they just kept their fingers over the brakes that's the most important part of biking is is the brakes because it doesn't really matter how fast you're going if you don't know how to pull the brakes it just makes things worse amen charismatic churches it doesn't really matter how fast we're going if we can't pull the brakes so that we're, we're making wise decisions it just makes things worse and so as people with souls that are kind of like bikes one of the most important things about us is that we're able to pull the brakes when we need to, slow ourselves down, and get, get back in control when we're heading down this hill so that we don't have a major wipeout or something like that. And so, for those of, because we're people, um, here's a saying that is good to say. I'm responsible to God in Christ for what I think, feel, say, and do. As a human being who's called to self-control, this is the truth. Each one of us can should say, must say about ourselves, I am responsible to God in Christ for for everything I say, everything I think, everything I do, everything I feel. I'm responsible to God. That's true. Some of you are thinking about that. You're weighing that idea. Maybe I'll believe that. Maybe I won't. It's true. Every person in this room, as an image bearer, is responsible to God for everything we think, everything we feel, Everything we say and everything we do. It's the truth. And this is in Christ, okay? If you're a believer, it's in Christ. If you're not a believer, um, you really, I want to encourage you strongly to get into Christ. Because what the Bible says is if, if we don't have the Holy Spirit in our lives, we're actually a slave to sin and we aren't in control of our lives. We're like that little kid on the back of the bike strapped in there can't touch the wheels can't touch the handles and sin is going to take us wherever it wants to go and so we're not actually in control we can't have true godly self-control so the first thing is to be in jesus to believe in jesus to ask for a new heart to ask for the holy spirit to come into our lives into ourselves and start changing things from the inside out but as individuals who are called to bear the fruit of self-control each one of us is responsible to god for everything we think feel say or do now, why is it important to remember that it's in Christ? Number one, because we're under his forgiveness. Okay? If all of a sudden you start finding out you're responsible for stuff, what can be the first thing that happens? You start to panic. Ah, I'm going to get it wrong and then catch it in the neck. and then. That's why we don't want to be responsible, because so that when things go wrong, it's not our fault. As one leader told me one time, an excuse is almost as good as a success. An excuse is almost as good as a success because even though it went wrong, you're not responsible for how it went. Does that make sense? And we, we can live like that. Well, okay, it blew up, but it's not my fault because... I think he was joking a little bit when he said that. But the reality is we are responsible for everything we do, everything we think, everything we say, everything we feel, but in Christ, it's under his cross, and it's under his forgiveness. So we don't need to panic, but instead we can look to him with faith that he is working in us to grow. But part of our growth is realizing, yeah, I, I am actually responsible. When I flip out, it's not because of what you did. I'm actually responsible for how I respond. When I'm lazy, it's not because of circumstances. It's not just because all of a sudden, um, like, they, they put... All the Indiana Jones movies on Netflix, and I just had to binge watch them. I just had to. I mean, you don't, it's been so long since the Raiders of the Lost Ark and that face melting scene. I haven't seen it forever. I just had, to. you know what, I'm responsible for everything I say, feel, think, and do. Um, whatever the circumstances, and sometimes they're insane and sometimes they're not that big, but as people in Christ, we're responsible to God and we're under His forgiveness. And we're looking to him to lead us and guide us. But we need to take responsibility. Okay, If something goes wrong, it's not necessarily the government's fault right off the bat. Or it's not necessarily their job to fix it. The church does a better job of most things than the government, except for war. Kind of not our job to make missiles. But with all that said, why don't you think about your life for a second? We can do this together. Where would you be most likely to be out of control? Your thoughts, your feelings, your words, or your actions? Okay, how about your thoughts? Do you get trapped in unbelieving thoughts? Do you get trapped in self-condemning thoughts, feeling like God's rejected you and you're not saved and not the elect? you get trapped replaying the tape where you just want to have that argument again? And if you if you were in that argument again, you do it this way, and you just wish you had said this. Do you get trapped thinking that whatever you're going through is somebody else's fault? It may be. And a lot of the stuff you're dealing with mentally may actually be heavily influenced by by what other people do. But it's still our responsibility in how we respond to it in Christ. It's, it's us. If it's going to change, we're going to have to change it. And this is how I think about it. I I live in a super generous neighborhood. Deerfield is probably the most generous neighborhood in Steinbeck. And I do not apologize for saying that. Why do I say that? Well, about once a week, we have a blue bin exchange party. Okay, So everybody puts all this stuff in these blue bins, and then we go to work, and when we come back, the wind has just shared all these little (laughs) gifts all over the neighborhood and it's you know it's like pizza boxes are in my ditch and somebody's skim milk jug is in the backyard by the way that's not milk it's just white water you should really at least have two percent or more um but you know the milk jugs are in there and then somebody's pop bottles and then there's some other cans that are just they're just all it's just everybody shared their stuff with me and us too well i think it actually goes over the road and that's into La brokery it's a different (laughs) neighborhood so it doesn't count But a deer field, it collects in our yard, and people are just so generous. Now, look, none of that junk is my junk. But who's going to pick it up? Me or nobody? (laughs) Why is everybody laughing? (laughs) It's true. The pizza boxes in the backyard, they were from a pizza place I do not order from, but they were either going to sit there, or I was going to pick them up. Okay. Lesson for life. Many times people leave their junk all over the yard of your brain, all over the yard of your soul. But really, under Christ, either we're gonna clean it up or nobody is. How about your feelings? Do you get trapped in anger? Do you get trapped in offense? Okay. It really is on us if we get trapped in anger or offense. No matter what the other person did, we're responsible for how we respond under Christ, and God is good, and God loves us, and he's with us, but literally the Bible says that there is a supernatural power in the Holy Spirit to have the inner strength possible to walk away from these traps, usually from coming face to face with God in his word and his prayer, often walking in the light with somebody that you need prayer and that you're caught in something, sometimes talking to that person, but ultimately it's up to us as responsible human beings before God to have self-control in these kinds of situations. Sometimes we can be not dealing with um, anger or offense. Sometimes it's lust, and we've dealt with that in the last few weeks a few times. We're 100% responsible for what we look at, even if it means doing an in-depth analysis of what your shoes look like when you're walking down the mall mall hallway, which we do, and we train the kids to do because they don't always like those posters that are up there. So it's just like, hey, let's look at the ground for a little bit. Put my arm around the guy. Okay, man, we're on mission. Let's just look at the ground. We're just going to look at the ground. Hey, look, there's one of those pretzel shops over there. Doesn't that pretzel shop look good? Let's keep walking. Let's keep walking. Because I'm 100% responsible for whatever I see. Whether it's look at it by choice or what I do when I see something that I didn't choose to do, nobody's responsible for it but me and where it goes. And that doesn't mean I'm alone. It is 100% under the, the mercy of Jesus Christ, and I have a friend named the Holy Spirit who like, literally lives in my brain who loves me and is ready to help with divine power at any moment. But I can't say I'm a victim here. Oh, help me, Holy Spirit, I can't do anything about this. Well, then I guess you can't do anything about it. Which is totally different than, Holy Spirit, I can't do anything alone, but would you give me the grace I really want to Yeah, we can work with that. Salvation is... Alone, by justification, it's just what God has done, but the process of growing in Christ is, is a joint effort. Even though joint effort isn't the best term, so please don't get all theological um, offended at me on that. I would love to debate those terms for a long time, but you know what I'm talking about here. Jesus went to a paralytic and he said, pick up your mat and walk. And the paralytic didn't just sit there going, I'm healed, I'm healed, I'm healed. He like literally picked up his mat and walked. Same with us for changing in these areas. We, we have to be, get over stuff in order to get over stuff. When God says, I'm going to get you over stuff, it will look like us getting over stuff. It can also happen by compassion. I'm going to step on some toes here and let me do it in love. But I want to talk about not having self-control when we get manipulated by movies and stuff like this. Because mani- movies can manipulate us into thinking wrong things by going after our, our hearts and our feelings. We're talking about having self-control of feelings. The first time I ever noticed that this was happening, I was watching this movie called The English Patient that came out a long time ago, and I really don't recommend it, so don't go watch it wondering what I was talking about. But the storyline is that this couple has an adulterous affair and she ends up dying in a cave in a desert somewhere. And there was this one scene where he's like carrying her after this plane crash, and she says to him, I've always loved you, and he starts crying. And I'm like bawling in the movie watching this, but afterwards I'm thinking, wait, they they're only dying because she cheated on her husband. And if she just kind of said, I think I'm gonna try to keep working on my marriage, she wouldn't be dying. So there's almost like a little sense of justice in this. But the movie's meant to make you cry that these true lovers are going to get separated by death because of this plane crash or whatever. And i just like, ah, my, my is being manipulated by emotions here. And self-control comes in to say, I'm not going to go there. Okay, sad story, people dying, sad, yes, okay, but I'm not going to the place of this is a romantic thing when it's actually just an affair. It's not romantic. It's just adultery. It's just antichrist. I'm not going there. Sorry, you're dead. Fine. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. They're they're made-up characters. <laughs> but 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 literally, we are called as Christians who literally live off the truth. And our God literally said, "I am the truth." We are meant to always fight to believe the truth even when Movies and narratives want to manipulate our emotions to believe other things. Okay, so a while ago, I, I kind of rallied some things because I was speaking derogatorily about the Shack. Okay, the Shack is probably one of the most emotionally manipulative stories possible about a dad dealing with his daughter who was like raped and killed when he was trying to save another one, and his relationship with his dad, and then he goes to a shack and he meets God, and it is probably one of the most emotionally like the, just the topic. Let's talk about child abuse and child murder and how to recover from that. Just right off the bat, 9 out of 10, 10 out of 10 emotionally. And the tragedy for me was that some really bad theology was getting baked into that cake for people to take in. And there was really a response like, it's just such a great story. Why do we have to think about whether or not there's some untruths about Christ in here? Well, we're called to have self-control even during really emotional Christian movies and say... I don't think God is a woman. And I don't, I actually, people, there is such a thing as hell. Okay, and it is about having self-control over emotions. We are never allowed to get swept up into lies through stories that grip our emotions. Amen? We're, we're, it's just the truth. And I love emotions. Emotions are my favorite. Between thinking and doing and feeling, I will pick feeling every single time because it's just the best. But it is not God, and it needs to bow the knees to Christ 100%. What about your words? Do you get caught in lying? Little white lies, little hiding things to promote yourself people only hear about the good things that are going on in your life, not the bad things? Are you caught in speaking arrogance or slandering people? What about your actions or your inactions? Do you blow up? Are you lazy? All of these things, a big part of God's response to it is to actually give us the strength to change on the inside. With truth and with the Lord, So you're a responsible creature before the Lord. Everything we think, feel, say, and do. We're called to know Christ, obey Christ, walk in Christ. And he wants to give us the strength to do what's right. Or to respond well. Okay, last of all, let's talk about relationships. Because if it weren't for people, life would be pretty good. Right? Right? Oh man, I just... Church is great, it's just the people that are a problem. Said everybody secretly once or twice. Now when it comes to growing in self-control, this is where we need to learn to keep our knees bent. Okay, There were some kids coming down from Abe's Hill, let's go back to that metaphor, they did know where their brakes were, but they didn't know how to keep their feet on the pedals and keep their knees bent. So as you know, Abe's Hill is not the smoothest hill in the world. It is bump central. And so what happens is you see these kids right away, they're heading down there, and they're starting to pick up speed, and what's happening? They're like going like this. <laughs> Side view. It's like this. LAUGHTER could just put out my back. <laughs> Why? <laughs> Sorry, that was, Because, because they're, they're not, like, you're taught to put your pedals flat, one foot in front of the other, keep your knees bent, and then when you're going over any rough terrain, you stay in control, because the bike moves underneath you, but your body doesn't move. That's what you're taught to do. When you're going over rough terrain... Hold on to your bars you know, and put your legs and keep your knees bent. And it works for like skiing and other sports. You keep your knees bent so that when you're going through the little jiggles, your body doesn't move. But with the kids, when they haven't learned that yet, they just keep their behinds planted on the seat of the bike. And so every jostle and every jar just gets rammed right up their spines. And for many of us, this is what relationships are like. Family relationships, church relationships, every little bump, you know, every Sunday, it's just an emotional roller coaster. Whoa, well, they didn't say hi to me, but they did say hi to me, but they didn't ask how I was doing, but they asked how I was doing, but they didn't let me fully explain. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, man. You know, Matt will come on as an elder, and then somebody else will come off as an elder after this message. <laughs> But if we're we're realistic about relationships and we want to apply self-control, it would be wisdom just to say, look, in every relationship there's going to be problems. In many of them, I'm going to be the problem. And God calls me to have self-control in walking through these things. Amen? In every church, you're going to have problems. Sometimes you're going to be the problem. And God calls us to grow in self-control as we walk through these things. And that kind of wisdom, just going, look, there's going to be problems, and sometimes it's going to be me, it's keeping our knees bent so that we get through stuff. Okay, this is good. It's a great ride. And if you really grow in grace, then it's like getting front-end shocks, which are awesome. I think of the story like Joshua and the spies going into the land And you remember this story, they were sent in there to scout out the land because God had said, go in there and win. And they came back, and 10 out of the 12 spies said, look, there's giants, we can't win. And what happened was somewhere along the lines they thought, I only want to invade a land that doesn't have giants. And so so we can't win this one. I'm looking for a giant free land. And that whole generation died. And we can, in in unwisdom, think, I only want a church that feels good all the time. Oh, here's a church that doesn't feel good all the time. I'm not going in. You know what I'm talking about? And we need to just grow, like, look, church is going to be one of the places, work, family, church, where God most wants to grow my self-control by keeping my eyes fixed on Him and just saying, I am here to be part of the solution, not part of the problem. And that's, that's his calling. Put your legs on the pedals. Bend your knees. It's going to be rough. But if you keep your knees bent, it won't be nearly as rough as it could be. Keep your eyes on the Lord. And let's try to have self-control so that we can continue to grow in love, continue to grow in joy, continue to grow in peace. And do ask the question, if there's a problem, am I the problem? I think we owe it to each other. As a, as a church in Christ, if there's a problem, answer the question first. Am, am, is it me? Because, like, literally, probably seventy-five percent of my church issues I've had—it's been me. It really has. Just you don't need to know the details, but and please don't nod your head, people. <laughs> <laughs> people are going to ask you about it, and then you'll be stuck in that situation. Do I speak the truth in love, or do I not? <laughs> just not. Um, the answer is not. Uh, I've noticed that okay, in my marriage. Most of the time it's me. It never seems like it in the moment. Most of the time I'm the problem. So there you go. Let me s- summarize. Um, God has called us to grow in this fruit of self-control in every area of our lives. We're responsible to God, and this is a gift to be responsible. We're not victims in Christ We sometimes are victimized, but we have Christ and the Holy Spirit. There's always a way forward. There's always a way out. It's usually in community and faith and in the Scripture. And uh, we're called to protect every good thing that God is doing by having self-control and not losing it and losing out. Lord, be blessed.